she's good. She's recording. Doing the scouts. But hey, she's good. She's recording. <laughs> Do you think we should use this as the start of our podcast? Yes, yes. <gasps> How funny. Imagine if we do the whole intro. Just fully in scouts. Yeah, let's take it from the top then, Matthew. Yeah, okay, get me, get me back to zero. Okay. In the world of floristry, there are so many wholesome, educational, wonderful podcasts. Say your line! Oh, God, I can't can't cope with you like this. Because (laughs) this is not that podcast. I hate to break it to you, girl, but this is not that podcast. You've tuned into the wrong place today. What have I turned up to that? I can't cope with you when you do your Scouse accent, love. A Scouse accent is fundamental to who I am. It's in my DNA. It's basically, if you were to like put me under like some kind of microscope in a lab, I would basically be Pepsi Max and a Scouse accent. It's That's just, all you're going to get It's like me. the Queen's English that's got like an oxygen tank in the back of your throat. There's like so much breath that comes through every syllable. I enjoy it. I mean, it's it's the most exercise I get in my life, is doing the Scouts accent. It is, because it's a real workout for the jaw, because you have to, like, draw everything out when I do it. And I can never feel, I never feel more womanly, and I never feel more, like, oh, I don't know what it is, like, just more sophisticated than when I'm doing, like, an extensive Scouts accent. And then when someone you know responds I mean? back to you exactly the same, and then you realise that's actually how they speak? Yeah, and I'm like, oh, thanks for your order. <laughs> and then we go from there. I love this. I think oh, we're going to do the proper podcast intro in Scouse. I think that's what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Flowers After Hours. I actually have a member of staff who speaks like that. It's very funny. She'll want paying. She'll want royalties. How are you, my dearest friend? I am so well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. I'm glad I can see you today. I know, I this can is, see you. For viewers who may not know this, for the first couple of episodes, we are viewers, fool. They're listeners. 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 We're doing podcasts. We're not on TV yet, doubt. Not yet, I know. What would the name of our TV show be if we were to have, like, reached the Kardashian level of fame, which we are hustling towards? Mm, I don't know. It'd have to have the word sisters, because we literally mm. are sisters. I don't know... I don't even know. I think it would actually go completely off topic and would be nothing about flowers. It would be about food, scouse accents. There'd have to be Mars pods in there somewhere. Oh, my God. If I end up getting sponsored by Nestle, I mean, that's the dream. That's the dream. Yeah, just send her a carton of pods, love. It'll give us something to go to the door for other than Uber Eats. Uh, or Deliveroo, I mean, either oh. or, it's all we run on. So, here we are in our delicious episode, and today we're going to be diving in to best business tips or best business practice. And both of us are sophisticated, elegant women in business, and I thought this could be a really good topic for us to have a little nour on. It's a great topic. I think it's it's also one that I think you and I are very easy to speak very candidly about. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. in business don't speak what I deem honestly enough about business. People want to know details. They want to know your success story. They want to be part of it. So I think it's great that we're talking about this. 
Mm, I think that's so true. I think sometimes that when you hear people talk about business or like trying to talk about what they're doing or how successful someone is, like it's such a tricky, booby-trapped mm-hmm. combobulation, don't mm-hmm. you think? Because Absolutely. like I, I always think on one hand, like you don't want to come across as like arrogant. You don't want to come across mm-hmm. as like talking about money, yep. which is like really strange because like, I don't think talking about business or talking about like what makes you successful or what, you know, how much profit something is or, it's not you know, taboo. It's not taboo. It's not taboo. It's not, but it really is though. Like I, mm. there's not that many people I can think of in our industry that speak really frankly about, you know, how their business is doing or how much money they're making or, you know, which Kardashian they most resemble. Like it's a very, uh, yeah, it is. It's a topic I mean, you that can't really take it about. on face value either, girl, because I know florists that on Instagram appear so successful and so wealthy, yet they're dirt poor, love. And I know dirt total poor. scrubbers that on Instagram you would think are like next paycheck is coming in like six to 12 months. They are rolling mm-hmm. in cash. And we all know it's- that. That woman that drove me from the Trafford Centre that time, love, we all know her. Yeah, that's true. That is so true. Because there are, I think in floristry, it's kind of, it's very similar to like any other industry. You never really know what's in someone's bank account and you never really know kind of like how well they're doing in business or what their like business practice is like. So I'm excited. Uh, I must admit, like I will start this episode by like a full disclaimer. Like you have been such an influence on me um, in running my own business. And I know we often talk about business and share like tips and tricks and, you know, sexual techniques. So I'm excited <laughs> for our listeners to <laughs> today to um to kind of hear a little bit about this and hopefully it'll be some helpful for some mm. people so you've been in business slightly longer than me because as everybody knows you are older than me um <laughs> well, fortunately i i i did have a little midday squirt today so i am freshly I full of botox so i do i will expect to be pulled over by the police on the drive home tonight if i'm not asked why that toddler's driving that mercedes i will be very disappointed Nine one one. what is your emergency who is that four-year-old behind the wheel <laughs> who is that <laughs> toddler was arrested today in southern perth driving the bmw 70 miles an hour down the motorway that's gonna be the uh, yeah i saw your little kind of bo- uh, botox squirt yeah, for the record yeah. i'm happy to say this we have both been touched by an angel we once have or twice before we have, love. um and, and, and can i, I just I've never say had that botox. you're not paid enough for this i'm not paid enough for this i'm not paid enough for this <laughs> I don't know whether we'll go into that topic. <gasps> <or not. laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know whether I'm emotionally Let's save ready. that for another episode, girl, because I think we actually do have to talk about that experience at some point. I feel that, that the viewers will need that. Oh, I said viewers! The listeners viewers! will need that. <laughs> Do you think that is a topic? I think it's kind of a topic by itself. It's almost like when we sit down with Oprah for our one-to-one global exclusive. What is underneath the cloche? That's what's underneath. I mean, something was underneath the cloche and it wasn't pleased to be there, let me tell you. Um, so as we've established, you're the slightly older one of yes, the two yes. of us. Um, but you had before. a very wholesome journey, though, in terms of your floristry starting. You started out working for people, whereas I started out in a family business. So I grew up in a family business mm. and it wasn't until I was 15 that I actually went and worked for someone else. Then when I was 17, I went into business with my mother. So... 
that's kind of, you know, I, that's what I knew. So, yeah, my business, which is now, now she works for me just quietly. Um, <laughs> so, my business is 10 years old next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's currently, she's currently eight and three quarters at the moment. Ooh. Isn't she? Isn't she just, mm. so yeah, I have been in business for nearly nine years in this business, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Can I ask, do you think that when you kind of started out, it was beneficial for you to kind of grow up in your mom's business and then go and work for other people and then come back and start a business with someone who had so much experience? Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I've got to be honest with you. Like when I hear you'd say that, I, I get so um, jealous of that, of how you must have had so much guidance on hand. Just even little things that a lot of people don't know how to do, like, I don't know, setting up a business account or setting up an account at a wholesaler. Like, you would have had that information right at the outset. That must have been such an asset. I guess, but, you know, you, I think growing up in a family business, you see what your family does and then you always think you can do it better. You know, you always mm-hmm. think that you can do it better. And don't get me wrong, when I went into business with my mum when I was 17, oh, God, I made some mistakes, some some of which very expensive because I thought that I knew better than her and I should have actually completely trusted her. So, it gave me such good grounding for when I started this business. But mm-hmm. I think realistically, I know you're younger than me, but I started this business when I was 24, so, mm-hmm. I think that you started yours, or 25. A little older. Yeah. I was 26 when right. I started. Which is young. That's young, girl. Yeah. You know, like, I think mm. someone starting a business in their mid-20s, that's a young person. You know, that's you're still a young mm. person. You don't have that life experience. But the reality is, if you want to have a successful business that has, you know, 20, 30 years life in it, that's actually when you need to start. Mm. I th- I always said this when I was like younger and I was doing all my training and competing and everything like I was still working for other people like mm-hmm. fundamentally that's what you know a big thing that I was doing and I remember always always saying oh my gosh like I never want to own a business myself before I'm 25 mm-hmm. like I don't know why but for me that was always kind of like I don't know, this hypothetical kind of like boundary or limit. I was like, I want to spend like my younger years competing and traveling and learning as much as I can so that when I go into business, I'm kind of like ready to go. And on one hand, that was really helpful because it gave me a lot of like the floristry skills. But on the other hand, it really didn't teach me anything about business. Um, The only experiences I had was working in other people's businesses and seeing the successes and seeing some of the mistakes too and thinking, oh, right, how would I change this or how would I, you know, do it differently if if that was my situation? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think I'm very much the same. Like I definitely entered this business with eyes wide open to the, mm-hmm. to the, um, the change that also had to occur within the industry. Like I feel like I moved into this business when there was that social media element coming in and I I could really see how that was going to become a big part of our business in the future. So, making sure that your web presence and your social presence was really had its own prowess so that you could uh, be visible to everyone at any moment, especially on a smartphone and things like that. That's That was my journey, whereas a long time ago, before in business with my mum, it wasn't like that at all. Like, websites weren't great, the internet wasn't great, you know, like, so it's completely different, worlds apart. 
Mm. And I think the way that social media and digital marketing has revolutionized the world and business, I think it's probably the most significant um, revolution that's happened in any form of business, in any industry, probably kind of anywhere. Because like, if you think of it back in the day, like, all right, I'm thinking back to when I was like tw- 17, 18. Um, so what's that? Like maybe 12 years ago. And I was working in a flower shop in Liverpool. And like when it came to like quote unquote marketing and like how we would kind of really promote the business, it was yellow pages. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean by yellow, yellow pages? I sure you have that do. In? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like the yellow pages, like phone directory, it would be um, like another phone directory called Thompson. They were like the two really big ones. And then it would be like flyers, leaflets. Like, it was all so, like, and what I think that's really not that long ago. And you know what? Here's a little random fact. We got through a Yellow Pages directory to my house about maybe like a month ago. And my boyfriend brought it in and he was like, oh my God, look at this. And A, I was like, I cannot believe that's still in print. Like, yes. fundamentally, like, yeah. what is that about? Uh-huh. But back in the day, it used to be like three inches thick, this oh. thing. It was like huge. Yeah, absolutely. And it was literally, I mean, put it this way, I've seen thicker pizza delivery pamphlets. Yeah. And I see a lot of those. Yeah. I see a lot of them. Yeah. So I, I, like, I couldn't believe how much it reduced down. But I mean, if anything, that's a real um, take on kind of like how much digital marketing has become, you know, such a, just, just an important thing in business. And you caught on really quickly. Like, you were growing your following on Instagram, you know, it was back while I was still rolling my eyes about Instagram. I still do roll my eyes about Instagram. <laughs> oh, it's hard. It's hard work, girl. And it's one of those things that's like anything. Once you start it, it would be foolish of you to stop. And I think it's mm. it's about, you know, it's so easy just to let the ball down on anything. It's like, you know, oh, new year, new me, and you sign up for a gym membership. You go three times. A you what really- membership? <laughs> But <laughs> you know the old, you know the, the thing with the mechanical walking instruments and all that sort of stuff. You know those girl. Oh, I don't know. It sounds like uh, that one place that you went that time and spent fifteen minutes in the gym and two hours in the shower. That one place. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's before. the one. He was yep. lo- he was, he was lovely. Wasn't he? Yeah, he was lovely. <laughs> but we've, we've all been guilty of signing up for some nonsense membership like that, and then you forget about it, and then you realise three months later it's still coming out of your bloody bank account, and you think, what on earth am I doing? And social media can become that as well. You forget, well, you don't forget about it, but you just become either lazy or preoccupied with something else. And I very much mm. built my social media into part of my everyday routine. Like, it's something that I can't just forget about or overlook. Can I ask, is that a good thing or is that like uh not a bad thing as such but is it does it feel like a chore sometimes oh absolutely and it's definitely something that you sometimes have to go oh i just can't be bothered today i just haven't mm-hmm. got it in me i can't be bothered getting on there today like it, it, it is real you know but it, you have to then look at the one thing i think about and you know i love an instagram story as you know And the thing I really think about, there are people that have said to me over the years, oh, but you spend so much time on Instagram. Girl, I maybe post four or six Insta stories a day. That's 90 Mm -hmm. seconds. 90 Mm -hmm. seconds. Mm -hmm. They're 15 Mm -hmm. seconds each. I mean, girl, who can't take two minutes out of a full eight or ten working hour day to spend on social media? I mean, really. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the way I look at it. 
it is such a huge part of business now. Like, I cannot imagine being in this industry and working, you know, in the work, in the line of work that we do and someone not being on social media. And when we say social media, I think you'll agree with me. Like Instagram is kind of where it's at. I don't see that shifting anytime soon, you know, despite all these kind of new competitors kind of popping up. You're mainly on Instagram, same as me. Uh, I don't know. You have a big Facebook presence as well. Do you use anything else? No, that's it, love. Have you tried anything else, like TikTok or... I haven't even bothered, because for me, it's one of those things, it's like, I know what is already working for me. If at Mm -hmm. any point I saw a decline in that, I would immediately explore where else I could platform myself. Oh my gosh. I mean, I have to, I, I kind of agree with you because the idea of, the idea of sticking with Instagram for my life, like I know it's not going to happen. At some point, something else will come along and you have to be able to kind of take that following with you to, you know, wherever the next place is. Yep. But I mean, I have to be honest with you. The idea of like getting on TikTok just fills me with horror. Like the idea of doing some kind of dance or, oh, rage no, and I hate. can't. It I mean, it fills me with rage and hate. It's horrible. <laughs> I feel like we'll have to do a whole episode on social media, girl. I feel like that's a whole episode by itself. I fully, I fully agree. So with that in mind, if I was to ask you what are like your top kind of business tips for people in, you know, the industry kind of, you know, in business right now or looking to start a business, like, do you have anything that kind of springs to mind as like a hot ticket that you have to share? Um, Something that I would definitely share just straight off the bat if you're starting a business is Mm -hmm. when you're writing the book, which is your business, when you start, you actually decide how many chapters it has and when it finishes. Mm -hmm. So, for me, it's like, okay, the beginning is, you know, you've got the forward in the book and then you've got the contents. You should be able to look at that table of contents at any time and go, oh, shit, I'm already up to chapter three. So, what I mean by that is you've written the titles of each chapter, you're just filling in the text. So, Mm -hmm. you have to know as well how long you want your business to exist. Is it something you want to sell? Is it something you want to sell as a legacy? Is it something you want to hand to another member of the family to run as a legacy? What is the business plan? I think that's the biggest thing for me because I think so many people start business and they kind of just go and go and go until when? Mm. I have to hold my hands up here and be like, I am one of those people who did not think it out. Mm -hmm. Like, fundamentally, I didn't. I started when I was 26 and I had no idea of what format I wanted my business to be. I was like, will we be a school? Will we be a studio? Do I want to do retail? Do I want to do more arty pieces? Like, what do I really want to do? And for me, I spent the first year of my business, which was, um, I can't remember the exact year, but we, I, I was 26 and I spent the first year really really just kind of like smelling what sells, I guess, you know, we put on some courses, we did, we started doing some weddings and events, we did some, like some of the types of teaching, and it was really just a case of kind of vibing it out. I was the, in in some ways, I look back to how I started my business, I'm like, oh my God, you did it like literally the longest way around possible. And if I was to do it again, oh my, it would be 10,000 times different. 10,000 times different. Yeah. There's definitely elements of my business that I would go back and rewrite. Absolutely. But it gave Mm -hmm. me that strength and knowledge to understand how I can write the next chapter. So, I think Mm -hmm. that's the... And I think it's important as well, if we're using the analogy of a book, you have to know when the chapter's done. Like, Mm -hmm. if 2020 showed me anything, it showed me that I had... So, just, just to add some perspective, this time last year... 
I had a corporate element of the business, which was worth $300,000 a year, which I, I terminated. So, I literally said to a $300,000 a year client, I'm out. This is not for me. Wow. Uh, Care to share why? (laughs) Because the reality (laughs) is, as much as that sounds like a huge chunk of revenue and a huge chunk of turnover and a big piece of the business, the reality was the net profit on that was eight to ten thousand dollars a year. Oh, so why would I continue doing it? It is completely moot. So I had to like. Can I ask? I'm so sorry. I have a million questions over that. Was that because they had maybe unrealistic expectations of budget or was it like the staffing hours required for that were like insane or- It was all of it. It it? was both. And it was Mm. a hotel contract. And the reality is it's Mm. like, you know, we were basically bent over the bench for that hotel. And, you know, they would ring at 11 a.m. and say, oh, we need something here for a guest by midday. And I would send a courier down, which then takes them away from something else else and all of these Mm -hmm. little things. So, to then have my accountant say to me, Matthew, this this client is not beneficial to your business was quite sobering because I thought, wow, if I walk away from that, how does it also look from the outside of Mm -hmm. what I'm walking Mm -hmm. away from? But then I learned as well throughout 2020 that there are other areas of the business and I can absolutely replace that revenue in another area of the business, which is going to have a much stronger yield and a much better return on investment. Oh my gosh. I think, I honestly think that's the title for this next episode. For this episode is going to be how I walked away from $300,000 and it did my business well. Truly. Because there's not many florists out there that will say that for sure. No, there isn't. No, if you'd asked me five years ago if I ever would have walked away from that contract, my answer would have been flat out no. But when you mm-hmm. look at the dollars and cents of it, and then you actually really think to yourself, does this bring me joy? And does it actually add any value to my business? And when both the answers are no, you just go, you know what? Why? why what are you doing it for? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and like in my time, we've had some hotel contracts and I've worked in businesses that have serviced some big, you know, five-star hotels. And I always think like, it's so true that they require so much work. It's hard and, work. I mean- we would every day, like when I, I was thinking back, you know, like five or 10 years before I had my own company, we every day would have like hotels call up and be like, oh, we require like rose petals for like a rose petal turn down. Or, mm-hmm. you know, can we just get a one bouquet? And it might be 35 pounds or something. And you're thinking, oh my God, like it's, um, you are really kind of caught in that noose of having to be 24 hour service all the time with that kind of client. So, I, I, I can totally understand why that would totally it's eat into not viable. profits, you know? Yeah. No. So, I think from well, that, in a business perspective, it's just like you have to also think. And, okay, so let me add a little bit more perspective to this. This particular client would pay 60 to 90 days post-service. So, when you're getting paid huge chunks of money a long time after you've actually delivered the goods and services, that's also another big thing to go, well, I'm not a bank, I'm a small business. You know, why would I want to carry carry that that debt, someone else's debt? That's ridiculous. So, Uh, okay. I remember when I was 21 and I did, or 22 or something, and I did my first big like commission, uh, you know, the rose dress that I did all those years ago. And I did that and I was working with a PR, big, big, big PR company in London 
London who put that project together. And they said to me, I was like, okay, so like, um, how do we like figure out payment? This is like the first time I was speaking to like a client, my own client, like myself, you know? And they were like, yeah, yeah, payment in 90 days. And I was like, what? Like, I'd never heard that before. Like, yeah. 90 days, three months is, it's unnecessary. It, it really it is. is. Like, it's, it's, it's unnecessary. No one needs that much time to pay their bills. And if they do, like, it's not a business you should really should be doing business with. One million percent. So now my mm. whole business literally is cash on delivery. Basically, I have a handful of corporate clients that pay all their bills on time. Anyone that didn't pay their bill on time, they have the opportunity to either fix their act or they're out. So I extinguished a number of corporate clients being like, no, you don't pay your bill on time. You're out. You're not trading within our terms. Mm -hmm. So it now Mm -hmm. means that every single time a client calls, emails, phones, whatever, we're taking the payment at time of service. So we're able to fulfill the order and know that we have been paid for it. So the cash flow is so different. Yeah, that's such a smart thing because one of my like things that I've always, always been like so, so focused on in my business is that the importance of having cash. Cause as you know, like I started my company in a similar way with you. Um, I had like a thousand pounds in the bank. I had no credit card, no loans, nothing like that. And I started off super small. It was me in a small studio in Liverpool city center. And I think because of that, because I never had an overdraft or loans or anything of that kind of nature. For me, I've always been so, so cautious of keeping hold of enough cash, being cash heavy, and kind of knowing like when your cash is coming into your business. Because I think there's, you can definitely get caught up in that idea of, oh, I have this coming in. Oh, I have this coming in. You know, in 60 days, I'll have this. In 90 days, I'll have that. But it's super important also like to keep your eye on kind of what you have in now. You know, hundred percent, and like, yes, mm-hmm. that might be coming in in sixty days and ninety days, but who's paying your wage bill in five days' time? You know, like, it's yeah, just exactly madness. One of the other things that I think is super important about, you know, you mentioned this a little bit earlier about running a business. And one of the tips that I would think is like one of the best things someone could do is really to only kind of build the business towards the vision of what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. I think there's a little bit of me when I started out, like, as I just said, I was doing a little bit of everything. We taught some classes, we did some, um, you know, some small weddings and events, and I was traveling and teaching and, you know, doing, frankly, a little bit of everything. Um, and it's only kind of now when I look back on that period of starting my company that I think, oh my gosh, like, I kind of could have saved myself a lot of time and a lot of wasted effort if I would have kind of begun with the end in mind, you know, started to think, well, what, what actually, you know, what's the plan here? As you've said, where do you want to be in two years? Where do you want to be in five years? And I know that you have a very definite plan for your business and you've definitely been a big inspiration for me. Um, in but that also sense, how, sure. how I hear this, I, well, I don't necessarily hear this a lot, but I, I see this, I can read between the lines a lot. How big do you want your business to get and knowing when to stop? So if mm. you just want to be, you know, a florist that has a small studio and you just do 20 deliveries a day, which clients have placed their orders online and that's it. Then when you get to that, you stop. Or do you expand and do you go, right, I now need to put a team member on, which now means in order for me to pay that team member, I need to do 40 deliveries a day, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's really important to have that clear definition of like, when is enough enough? 
Hmm, that's such a good question. That is such a good question. And it's one of the things that I've always thought, like, I guess in my head, I've always had a figure which I was working towards mm-hmm. or that I wanted to see on, you know, Kane, what your annual turnover was. Um, but I have to say, if I stopped expanding my business now, if it was just to remain at the same size that it was pre-COVID, not mm-hmm. like right now, but like, you know, a year ago, I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, same. Like, I could li- I could live a good life on it. Yep. Like, I wouldn't be upset. I wouldn't be struggling. Like, I'd be able to pay everyone a fair wage, pay all my suppliers, produce something that I'm happy with, and I'd be pretty happy with that. Same. How and about that, you? That, no, I'm, I, my goals are very focused on how many stores I want, when they're opening, when I want to expand to different areas, things like that. Mm-hmm. But I also am very aware of each time I open a store – uh, at what point does it get too big? Because, for instance, you know, I have another store opening in three weeks' time. When that store gets so busy, that then mm-hmm. means I need to get a second site close by to that store in order to feed the store, which is another massive expense. So, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's so important to have those clear goals in mind. And no, no business ever went broke from selling out of something. You know, if you Mm -hmm. have X amount of stock, X amount of products, blah, 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 and that fits and suits your outgoings, fits and suits the capable workload that your team can manage, when Mm -hmm. you're sold out, you're sold out. It's totally Mm -hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. We were we were having a similar kind of conversation um, earlier, Lord, last week, should I say, with myself and some of the, like Frankie and who kind of run the office and the strategy side of things with me. And we were saying that like during the pandemic, we've really had to kind of bring on a couple of additional parts to the business, I guess, that we wouldn't either have had the time to ever launch or that kind of, you know, they were a necessary pivot to carry, you know, continue the life of the business during the pandemic. And before the pandemic, we focused very much on like three main areas. We had our flower school, we had our flower studio, and I did, you know, fine art projects. But now we have almost three additional categories. Um, you know, for example, the online courses that we're doing and the eBooks and all that kind of caper. And now we're kind of at the point where hopefully over the next few months we'll be kind of re-entering society, you know, like the debutante I am. Um, And we were kind of thinking about, right, okay, well, if, you know, weddings and events kick back up by summer, which, you know, we think they will. We hope. Classes are starting again next week. And, you know, if if we get back to as busy as we were back in, you know, before COVID hit, will we be able to manage these extra parts of the business as well as everything we were doing? And I was like, well, the great thing is... If that happens, that we are taking on too much and we feel we're dropping balls and, you know, it just doesn't feel good or feel right or isn't profitable, then we've got the benefit of being able to trim down or close even some of those parts of the business that maybe we didn't love or maybe are less profitable than other parts. And I'm excited for that because I don't want to work every hour under the sun. I, you know, I, I don't want to kill myself, like, you know, doing a million hours and making a thousand bouquets. I want to have what I consider. A Are you really saying you good don't want help. to turn into me? I don't want to turn into you. I'll go. Just this once, I'd say that. You know, you're always my icon, but just this once. <laughs> it's so true, though. Like, for for all our listeners who are, like, listening to this right now, like, hands, I will confess this. Matthew works 12 times harder than I do. 
on the like bench. You do whenever on I the speak bench, to you, you're like, <laughs> you're like, you're like, it's three a.m. and um, I've just created my seven hundred bouquet of the day, and I'm like, and only three hundred like, to go, girl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but there is such a huge difference between, like, I guess. Not our roles, I guess, but about where we deploy, like, what we do within our company. Like, I remember, like, most times when I do a wedding or event, I don't make anything. She goes in, she places one phalaenopsis, and she swans off in a ball gown. And she better be having a chilled Pepsi Max next to her. She does it all. That's all she does. You know, whereas I know that you are far more hands-on in your business and far more, um, like, the quality control, I guess, must be better in what you do. Because you're seeing it on the bench every day. I agree. I agree with all of that. And I think it's, although it's actually, you know, when you look at strengths and weaknesses of people, I also admire you because it's a strength I don't have is being able to relinquish that control. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a really valuable thing in business too, for people to understand at what point do you relinquish control by bringing on the right team members. And don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong, girl, I got the right team members, but I also just love it to death. And it's to my own detriment because I end up working a million hours a week, but I I adore it. You know, I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. And I guess you have such a, that great relationship with your staff and you're mm-hmm. there every day. You see anything before it becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas my relationship with my team is like very busy. Like we were talking about this just last week because we had Mother's Day here. It was pretty busy. And we were talking about, you know, as we kind of, you know, reopen and kind of get back to, you know, life as normal, we're probably going to have to hire some new staff to kind of handle some of the new additional sides of the business. And, um, you know, uh, my manager was talking to me and she was like, I know exactly what you're after and I was like what is that and she was like someone who you don't have to speak to who you don't have to tell them what to do who is completely autonomous and who will just turn up and do the job and I was like yes that's my ideal member of staff I don't want to have to be you know put it this way I think I'm very open and I'm very happy for people to ask me questions and for me to give advice all of that but at the end of the day like I am employing you to do a good job I expect you to be able to do a good job and your job is not to take up tons of my time you know what I mean? Like, I hope that you're, you've are you got the confidence and your skills and in what you do to be, once you've had some training, obviously, and you've got, got the relevant support, that you're an asset to me in that way so that I don't have to monitor you doing your job. You know, that that's what I want anyway. I just don't want to be bothered. Just leave her alone, love. Just leave me alone. No, I understand that. I think it's once you've invested and in your staff and you've made that mm. initial investment. It's like, okay, girl, I've invested in you. Now I need to see the return on investment. And that means leave me the f*** alone. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. My ideal member of staff is like, morning, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Yeah, that's wonderful. No, I've got a Pepsi Max, thank you. And then they go off and then where you maybe come in with a couple of questions. Five o'clock. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. then they're like, this is what we've done. I mean, uh, that's what, that's my perfect, little perfect, perfect team member. Because I think I would like to think that that empowers them. Don't get me wrong. Like yes. my office is right next to our workroom. I pop in and out every day. Like if they're making, um, I don't know, like wedding centerpieces, they'll make one. I'll come and take a look at it, give them some advice or tweaks or anything like that. Um, and then we'll move into hopefully they can, you know, make the rest of them. I think and I'm I like similar though. That- like I, I would basically, mm. I would just have a slightly different role i would go in i would make the first one and mm-hmm. then i would say right you go mm. yeah yeah that's very similar though because yeah. essentially you're kind of handing over the control and Absolutely. i think that's better for your team members as well because it kind of makes them it hopefully empowers them to think that oh i can do this like it gives them the skills to run the production line and monitor the stock levels and all of that kind of stuff which is like that's what we love 
the thing it's love. really just it's leave me alone. Uh, yeah, it's true, girl. But the thing it's definitely done for me, and having built such a strong um, team, and I know that you know you're fortunate enough to also have had a team working with you that have been with you for a long time, and mm. that's really my most important thing. It's like how long can I get out of a team member? So when I, I work that. on the bench with them, and I am you know kind of motivational and trying to inspire them by working with them, I find as well that. You know, it. there's never, no one ever says, oh, I don't want to take the trash out today because they saw me take it out yesterday. You know, it's one of those take, things. Take the what out? You know, the garbage love, the trash. Um, Let me Google that. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I like to inspire my team in a separate way. I just have beautiful murals of me around the workroom. Um, there's this stunning one of me eating some peel grapes on a chaise lounge. No, love. You, um, have, you have five Chelsea gold medals on the wall and you just say, that's why I'm sitting in my office today. Goodbye. I do. Sometimes when my staff bring me an issue and they're like, I'm really like not happy with this. So I really want to talk about this. Sometimes I'll just like covertly nod and cough at the medals yeah. and then they leave and it's just the best way forward um yeah it's important though like i mean i fully agree with you there is like a real there's a real investment whenever you take someone on you know because it's no one is ever perfectly primed to come into your business to aid your business to you know do the role they want to do there's always training involved there's always investment on your part to make sure that you know you're they're kind of becoming the best that they can be and fulfilling the role and you know also like they're a good part of the community as well. And the thing um, is as well, when you invest that initial time, energy, effort and money into your team, mm-hmm. it's a hell of a lot cheaper in the long run than have to fix all the fuck ups afterwards. Yeah, for sure. For sure. In my business, I'm trying to think we've been in business for, it's actually six years now. Yeah. Six years on the, was just on the 1st of March. It's just gone. Um, but I kind of don't class the last year to be honest with you, because for the pandemic, like we were, she's on like, hiatus. it's not an exaggeration to say, yeah, she was on, she was on hiatus. So we've had five tr- good trading years, I would say. Um, and I've had like maybe one or two people leave, but I've been very lucky that the team I have, you know, are coerced and blackmailed into staying with me for a very long time. Um, uh, and long may that continue. Yeah. I know that you're the same, right? You have like a team that's been with you like since day dot. Day dot, love. Like, and the thing is, I'm so grateful. And yeah, my, my team, they're treated like queens, you know, like I absolutely love mm. them because I'm so aware of the reality that like, if I didn't have these beautiful people working with me, I wouldn't have what the business that I have. And mm-hmm. it solely relies on them. Like I might be steering the ship, but they're the ones, they're the ones working it, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's really important that they feel included and part of a family. I'm very much about that. You know, like it's, you become, because we often end up spending more time with each other than we do spending with our partners and children and all that. So I think, it's important for them to feel like they come to work and they come to be part of a family. That's my biggest thing with my team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the things I think that is so different in business today than businesses, I don't know, maybe, you know, 25, 50 years ago, is that you want someone to be a really good fit for the culture there. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is so important in our job when often it is really early mornings, you are working in difficult conditions in you know, random locations, up ladders, you know, long, long hours and some big weddings and events. Um, you need to know that you're fundamentally getting going to get on. And that person's going to be like a good member of the team and you know and then it's, it's a really good fit like that makes total sense 
tell me, what are your other best business tips? Do you have anything that you think, oh my gosh, if you were speaking to Matthew aged, how old were you when you started your own? You're like your own brand 24. 24, 24. 24 year old Matthew. Is there any kind of thing straight away that you're like, yes, that is totally what I would tell him. I would have probably told myself to spend more money at the beginning. Um, Because I was very, like you, I didn't start off with a lot of, I didn't start off with any capital. You know, I had Mm. $10,000 to get started and it was sink or swim, you know, so I didn't have any fall back on. And with that, as the business started to build and started to head in the right direction and we started to make money and we had bulk cash, if you like, on hand, There were things that I wish that I'd done, like, for instance, invest in more infrastructure, because Mm -hmm. I definitely feel that probably by the third year of the business, we were really, really starting to get feet. And I didn't have things like computers that ran really quickly, for instance. I had dirty, old, cheap-ass computers, because that's all I could afford when I first started the business. So, Mm -hmm. you know, having to invest in that, because I look and I think, you know what, if I had have just spent a bit of money in at the end of the first year on a really decent computer, how much easier would that have made my life for the whole of the second year? Mm, oh my gosh does that make like, sense I, like yeah totally because when you start out like sometimes when like cash is tight there can totally be this attitude of like i have to spend as little as possible you know minimize the spend you know really keep it in the account which like i totally get we've all been there but there is something to be said for when you're going to splash the cash splash it on quality items yeah. even just little things yeah. like the first van that i bought for the business was some mm-hmm. dirty old clunker and well, it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> filthy, but it was like it was probably like six or seven years old, and it had like a hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. k's on the clock. So like she was getting, you know, she was cheap. She suited the purpose, but then mm-hmm. you know, every three months or something, she'd be at the mechanics, and she'd cost a fortune to fix. And I thought, me, why didn't I just buy a brand spanking new van that had mm-hmm. a warranty and all of those mm-hmm. sorts of things? Because it ended up costing me more money. So I think that when I look at like my own journey right at the start of my business, it was very much a case of like almost like a confidence with money as well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like being able to say, okay, yes, I will buy, you know, a MacBook computer or I will buy a better camera or I will buy dot, dot, dot. Because at the beginning there was this kind of, but what if I spend it? And it, and it, it doesn't come in. What if I don't get another job? What if I dot, dot, dot. And then as you kind of get that confidence that, oh, like this business is going to work and I'm not going to, you know, have to prostitute myself down at the beach. Like imagine, imagine all the refunds, love. Imagine all the refunds you'd have to give. Good grief. I wouldn't be able to handle the paperwork. Um, I kind of look at that and think, you know, like it's just a confidence thing, I guess, that the more you do, the more you're able to kind of like, you know, take those risks and invest in yourself and see it as a really good thing as opposed to, oh my God, like I'm spending money. You know, there can be a real anxiety for some people about that. And oddly, as you get bigger and more successful and the business grows, you're actually, the stakes are even higher, girl. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I look, my Valentine's Day order for flowers alone would be, like, double the average Australian yearly wage. You know, and I think, you know, you know what it's like, you you get, and you're looking at these figures of tens of thousands of dollars, and you just think, oh, yeah, that's normal. Oh, yeah, no worries. Yeah, that sounds Mm -hmm. fine. But the reality is, as well, you've got you'll actually, you know, when you first start out, you might go to the flower markets and buy, you know, a bunch of Bovardia, as I would, of course. 
and you only use five. <laughs> you only use five stems, and then five stems go in the trash, and you think, "Oh, my life's over. I'm bankrupt. You know, how am I ever <laughs> going to recover from this?" Yet, you know, like if you're doing a big event or something like that, and you throw out five bundles of roses that haven't been, you know, used, you think, "Oh, fuck it, who cares?" You know, and it's just well, exactly. Sometimes on a Tuesday, I just throw out five bunches of roses just because. <laughs> <laughs> Morning, guys. In the bin. Um, yeah, no, it's so right. Like, I remember, like, back in the very beginning, you like, I was so careful on my buying. It's so cautious. And that's not to say I'm not now, of course, because, you know, it's important to, to have that practice in place. Yes. Yeah, of course. But at the end of the day, let's just say my anxiety, as my business has grown and become more stable over the years, my anxiety has decreased. And like the only, like to be very honest with you, the most anxious time in me, for me, when I was starting my business was right at the beginning. That first year felt totally sink or swim. Am I going to do this? Is it going to be okay? And then I felt I had the added pressure of like my quote unquote name and reputation and, you know, like how would that look if it didn't go well? Mm -hmm. But I think once I got the first year under my belt, I was like, oh, like I'm okay at this. This is going to be all right. Like I'm, I'm going to be able to do it. I remember my first year of business, we turned over 125,000 pounds which I don't know, is like maybe, what's that, like 200,000 Australian, yeah, something yeah. like that. Which is yeah, pretty yeah. solid for a first year, girl. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. And it was doing that was my, that was like a huge achievement to me. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And then from there, I was able to kind of get more and more confidence to like grow the business. But I think honestly, like being in a business is like the best learning experience you can have as a person. It because is having it a you child. It's having a child. It, it no puts you in so you many. <laughs> it puts you in so many like situations that like a person who's not in business would never experience. So many challenging situations dealing with customers and finance. And I have to say, like being a business has been like my own personal university. Like it really um, forces you to educate yourself in so many things that you didn't care about or yeah. didn't know about, you know, before you entered. And you're in so many constant fight or flight situations where you are thinking mm. with a moment's notice about something that needs a decision in a moment, you know, and it's just... My decision is always flight and it's always business class. Yeah. <laughs> if she can't lay down, love, she ain't going. She's not going. It's so true. It's so true. People think I'm joking when they say, oh, will you come and teach here? And I'm like, do they fly business there? Because if they don't, the answer is no. Um, <laughs> what has been, <laughs> what has been the biggest learning curve for you? Like what has been maybe like one thing that you kind of started out doing that you thought you were terrible at? And over time you've been able either to like hire someone to handle it or you've kind of learned to navigate your way through it. Uh, definitely for me, things like bookkeeping, terrible. Terrible, bores me to tears. The thought of having to do any form of data entry, any form of accounting, anything like that. In my opinion, things like bookkeeping and accounting should be outsourced from day dot. From day mm -hmm. dot. Because I look mm -hmm. back on the first two to three, three years, first three years of business, my company was not set up to handle the growth that we had. And I ended up paying so much more income tax and things like that than I needed to, just because mm -hmm. I thought I knew what I was doing, but I had no idea. So mm. I wish that in the beginning I'd set it up, you know, and I think my advice always now to people is 
when you're writing the titles of the chapters of your book and you think, okay, I want my business to become a 10 million pound, pardon me, business, then you set your business up from day dot as a 10 million pound business. Oh my gosh. I mean, the amount of foresight that you speak with really is quite phenomenal to me. Um, because I never thought like that at the very beginning. I didn't think I was just like, I didn't, we need to do it. But I bet if you were to do it again, you would start off completely differently. Completely. And I would too. Yes, me too. I would as well. I'm so proud of the journey I've had, but there's definitely things that I go back and think I could have absolutely done that better. I love that. So, girl, what have you been whirling this week? What's caught your eye? Anything interesting you well, want to share with me and your general public? You know, I've always, always looking on Instagram for sources of inspiration, as you know. And mm-hmm. I, so there's this florist that I have followed on Instagram for some time because I met him when I, uh, sorry, when he was working for another florist. And I've followed his journey because he's gone off and done his own thing. And I just absolutely love what he's been doing. So, I want you to have a look. The Instagram is called The Colour Blind Florist. Now, for anyone in America that's listening to this, we spell colour in Australia with an C-O-L-O-U-R. So, it's The Colour Blind Florist. Okay, right. So, Benjamin Avery. So, I'm on Avery. his Instagram yeah. now. So, let me tell you about Ben. So, Ben Avery, he is colorblind, right? So, he can only see things in yellows, greens, and reds, basically. I read a story. Oh. Now, so, his whole focus, and as you can see from his Instagram, it's all very art-based, right? But mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. you know, I am not. I would have to say I'm not always mad for some of these art-based florists as such. That, 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 mm-hmm. It takes a bit to really get me going when it comes to this style. But there's something about the texture and colour and movements that he creates, which is quite stunning. Like, really, really mm-hmm. stunning. And there's just... It's just a pleasure watching how he looks at this because I, as a florist, I can't imagine how difficult it would actually be to be colorblind, you know, like to actually operate colorblind. Like, how bizarre. Like, I, it's just so foreign to me. So I feel that he's just a pleasure to watch and his stories. Sometimes he, you know, does these beautiful, beautiful, um, you know, installs and little events and things like that. So, yeah, that's my whirler of the week, love. Uh, Benjamin Avery, the colorblind florist. I just love watching him. I have to say, like, I cannot imagine being a colorblind florist. Like, I mean, I think that is, like... I mean, what a challenge. Floristry mm. is hard enough. <laughs> like, when I can see colours as they are, I cannot imagine what it would be like to not be able to, like, see colours. I mean, like, God, I can name 20 florists off the top of my head that I think might be colourblind because there's some really questionable, <laughs> really questionable colour palettes. But this bloke is actually colourblind, love. So, it's oh, fascinating gosh. to see how he approaches his style of design And how he focuses so much on form and texture within his designs to create something without actually being able to see the colour. But having spoken to him, apparently there's some things that, you know, he's... So, he sees tints and shades of things that we wouldn't see. So, he can actually kind of see what goes with what based on the knowledge of, you know, how his colour actually works 
in his own eyes. I mean, that honestly sounds like someone's uh, showing off. It sounds very arrogant of him. And I'll be sending him a letter to that effect. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think that's incredible. I think that's incredible. Because they often say that, like, people who maybe have limitations in in one way Mm -hmm. will find, uh, you know, new routes or new pathways to be able to kind of, like, reach challenges or achieve, you know, win over challenges in different areas. So, I mean, his work is beautiful. I'm taking a look through it now. And, I mean, it's it's really, really stunning, isn't it? It's lovely, isn't it? The colour palettes are... I mean, it is. It's so nice. It's so nice. And the colour palettes that I'm looking at, like, I think... I wonder, there's so much, um, so much color in there, you know, like everything mm-hmm. is quite polychromatic or, it's you know. It's very the, polychromatic. And the thing is, it is. when he started wrapping it. in orange paper, I nearly threw up in my mouth. <laughs> and then I realized how beautiful for some reason it looks. Mm, I don't know if I'm fully there myself on the orange paper. So, I mean, I would probably... <laughs> uh, that's my really diplomatic way of playing... Please don't send me anything in orange paper. Yeah. Um, unless, you know, it's, unless it's Hermes. Hermes, then she's welcome. She is welcome to send me things in orange paper. My birthday's in January. Yeah. Um, oh, and terrible. but yeah no i think this is i think this is gorgeous i mean orange is a bold choice is what i would say and you know good good for them you can tell you can tell that you've taught floristry before girl because it's like something you'd say to a student oh that's a really bold choice you've made there Dal. No, what I would say, if I was handed a bouquet wrapped in bright orange paper, I would say, oh, you must have had so much fun making that. (laughs) 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 That's what I say to students. On occasion, very, very rarely have I, um, you know, had a student who's made something like really horrendous or (laughs) maybe has not listened to, you know, sometimes like I have been presenting like a a topic or, you know, something in a class for like an hour, two hours, you know, talking about theory, talking about placement, talking about whatever I'm talking about. And someone will make what can only be described as a a true abomination and an abomination. And they will be like, what do you think? Like, um, and a, a, a floristry judge in the UK taught me this, um, that sometimes if you're really struggling for anything good to say, just be like, oh, you must have had so much fun collecting those flowers. I'll do it in Scouse for you to end the episode. Okay. You must have had so much fun wrapping those flowers in bright orange paper. <laughs> All right, girl, on that night, I'm out. <laughs> Thank you so much. See you next time. Bye-bye. Yeah, behave yourself. Thank you so much for joining us today, guys, for this episode of Flowers After Hours. We have had an absolute hoot doing it, and I hope it's been doing it for you. It's been a hooty toot. Make sure you click subscribe down below and that you leave us a rating and review. That would mean the absolute world to us, and you do not want to miss an episode of Flowers After Hours. Help us on our way to becoming the next Floral Kardashians, and we'll see you on the next one. I am the goose. The egg has been laid. <laughs>